Hebrews chapter 4. Dave, if you could read from verse 14 there through chapter 5 and then uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. So it's a little, little bit of a large passage, but just read along with us. Uh, Hebrews 4, 14 and following. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. But though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. In this passage, the word maturity comes to mind. He talks here about <clears throat> let us go on to maturity. It is the aim and the purpose of God in our lives for us to grow and to move to maturity. Now here we have this case 
the writer of Hebrews is talking to the people he's writing to and saying, hey, look, you have been converted for a long time. And you should be grown up. Except but you're still babes. You're not mature yet. He says, now, he says, he says, it's time to move from the milk to the meat and to move on to maturity. And it's interesting because that issue is still an issue in Christendom today. That we are called by God to move to maturity. Not to stay a baby Christian all of our life, or a toddler Christian, but spiritually speaking, to become mature and adult Christian. And what does it take? How does that happen? What is holding that back? These are the kind of questions that we ask when we read something like that. But you see, the people that he's writing to here, they seem to be complacent just to stay with the milk of the Word. Just to kind of squeeze by and just do the minimum to just continue being a Christian, you know, professing Christ and just doing the minimum requirements, whatever that is. And Paul is saying, or the writer of Hebrews, I'm sorry, is saying here, by this time you ought to be teachers of the Word. So, apparently, the people he's writing to have been Christians for some time. He says, by this time, he says, you should be, you know, teachers of the Word of God. He says, you need someone to go back and, and relay a foundation of the elementary principles of Christ. Relaying the foundation, because people, he says, are partaking only of milk. And he says in verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature. That is, by the reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He say, reason of use of what? What's he talking about here? Putting the Word of God into practice. You, reading the Word and... Not just a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word. As you put into practice the Word of God, you, your, sent, your spiritual senses become practiced and exercised in discerning good and evil. Right and wrong. True and false. You grow up by hearing the Word and being a doer of the Word. And you know, when we become a Christian... When we were first converted, we're more of a hearer of a word than the doer. Just the way it is. Because we come into Christ and it's like, okay, now everything changes. But we have to learn obedience. We have, we have to learn to get control of ourselves. We have to learn to use the things that God gave us. And it says that Christ learned obedience the things he suffered. You know, it's easy to do what's right when there's no conflict, when there's no temptation, when there's no trial, when there's no pain. 
when there's no hurdles, when there's no problems, no tribulation. But we, when we are tested and tried and troubled, then the rubber meets the road. And God allows things into our life so that we learn to submit to God. It says here, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience through the things which he suffered. The verse before that says that he offered up prayers and supplications with cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his godly fear. Another version says, because of his reverent submission. When I read this, I think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the first thing that comes to my mind. Where Jesus is crying out. It says he was sweating. It says like great drops, like, like, like he was sweating, great drops that were like blood. And he was crying out to God. And in one of the versions, one of the accounts says that an angel came and strengthened Jesus. He said his he said his spirit was willing to do the will of God, but his flesh was fighting with him. And he needed to be strengthened, and God strengthened him. And in this message of what happened to Jesus is an example to us. We learn obedience through the things that we suffer. We learn submission, reverent submission, godly fear through the things that we suffer. And some of that is certainly His discipline. In the book of Hebrews, where we were in earlier, or actually still now, chapter 12, when it talks about God's discipline, I believe one version says, that we uh, consider uh, hardship to, as discipline. That God is working out His will in our life and changing us through the things we are going through, the things we are suffering, through the trials we are going through, to grow us up. So I've suffered a lot of things, but I'm not growing up the way I should. Well, I've said that about myself at times in my life. And I come to realize that God revealed to me that I was hindering the process. Because I was bucking and, and fighting this process that God was putting me through. I was upset and, and troubled and, and fighting the trials I was going through, the things I was suffering and just needing to get through them and not really growing from them. I wasn't learning reverent submission for the things I was suffering. And then God opens your eyes and says, well, you know, you need to grow. And God chooses different things in our life. He allows certain things in our life. But why is God doing this to me? It's not that He's doing it to you. He's allowing tribulation in our lives as we read in the book of James chapter 1 brothers verses 2 to 4 it says brothers rejoice or count it all joy when you go through various trials 
knowing that the testing of your faith works patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you might be complete and mature and lacking nothing. A complete Christian, a mature Christian, is through letting patience have its perfect work. That we learn as God, we learn obedience, we learn faith, we learn to, learn to trust God. That's the purpose of these things. And it says we should count these things all joy, rejoice in them. So, well, that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense to our natural mind. But we are learning obedience. We are growing up through the things we are suffering. And isn't it interesting, it says that even Jesus had to go through that. And right after he talks about learning obedience and reverent submission, he talks about maturity as a Christian. And he says, let us move on to maturity. And we have to examine ourselves and say, am I hindering that maturing process that God is bringing me through? Am I fighting it? Am I frustrated instead of counting it all joy? In this world you will have tribulation. The words of Jesus. So then why are we frustrated and angry and disturbed and dismayed when we go through tribulation? Jesus said, see, I told you all this ahead of time. He foretold our life, what our life would be like in Christ, in Him. Our life would not be a life of sitting under a shade tree sipping lemonade as the bombs are going off around us. It would be a life of tribulation, of temptation, of trial, of testing. Testing whether we will walk in love for those who wrong us. Testing us as to whether we will trust God or whether we will turn into a ball of anxiety, if we will be fearful at the sights and the sounds of things around us in our society and our world today, mass shootings, shootings in the streets, shortages, inflation, rising prices, rising tempers, turmoil in government, corruption in government, an Antichrist spirit in the world, fearing the coming of Antichrist, fearing persecution, tribulation. It's not life in the spirit. It's not maturity. We have to move on from the, the natural when we first come to Christ. We can't stay where we were as a big, when we first started as a Christian. And that's what those things are. Walking in fear and anxiety and, and, and just bucking every problem that comes and every temptation and every trial. We are dead to the, the temptations of this world. Count ourselves dead to, those, to sin. We have the living God who says that we have joy and peace in trusting Him. We fight the process. We fight the process. 
of the Holy Spirit in our life. Why? Because it clearly says that the natural mind doesn't understand the things of God. And so if we're walking in natural reasoning about our problems, which is what we naturally do, this doesn't make sense. It's confusing. It's disturbing. It dismays us. It's distressing. It's depressing. All that stuff. Because we're looking at it according to the natural mind, the outward appearance. That's why this, that stuff does that to us. But, so what do we do? We embrace the spiritual mind. We embrace the mind of the Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit for a reason. We sang the song this morning, Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit in me. That's what God does when we're converted. He, puts, he gives us a clean heart. He cleanses us. He renews in us a right spirit. gives us the Holy Spirit. And then He says, Put away the old way of life. Put away the old man, the old way of thinking. Don't walk the way the people of the world walk. Don't think, don't think the way the people of the world think. That's what's hindering the process. We are embracing Christ on a childlike level and not on moving on to maturity. We're supposed to be like a little child, but as a little child as we move on to maturity. But if we don't accept the leading of the Holy Spirit and embrace the Word of God as the little child, we're going to be stuck in the mud and be, and be immature and a babe in Christ. We're still going to be struggling with the elementary principles of the Word of God, the elementary teachings, the foundational teachings. and not able to move on to maturity. In James chapter 5, which is right after Hebrews, Verses 10 and 11 of chapter 5. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Mm-hmm. An example of, of um, suffering and of patience. There's an end to the suffering. And there's an end of the patience. And there comes the time of reward. But until then, there'll be an, we have to take our brethren who went before us as an example. Jesus Himself, the apostles, and the prophets of old. And who suffered more than Job? I mean, he had complete disaster come upon him. 
like I don't think any of us have ever experienced. But God had a plan in that. To show us that even in the middle of the worst and most extreme sufferings and trials and tribulations, that God has a plan. And there's an end to the patience and the suffering. There's a reward at the end of it. We have a need of patience that after we've done the will of God, we'll receive what's promised. That's the spiritual, mature outlook concerning these things. And so, when we see that it says, Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. In the book of James, also it says, Blessed is he who endures temptation. For after he is tested, he'll receive the crown of life that, that uh, God will give uh, to those who love him. You have heard of the patience of Job and seen the intended end of the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. There's an end to all of this. And so, we look at that in our own life. It's not always going to be this way. We're not always going to be in this place where our, where our faith is going to be tested. There's an end to faith. There's an end to, to, to hope because we are going to see all the things that were promised. There's an end and a reward to all of this. It's not going to continue. <clears throat> the next one is in uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. One of the ways, as we will look at in a few other scriptures, that maturity happens as a Christian, that God has designed us to grow up, is in relationship with one another, both in and out of meetings. A lot of Christians don't understand the value of that and the importance of that. Many in Christendom think you can just listen to a sermon and that's good. And it, but it says here, this talks about relationship. Christianity was meant... Christians were meant to be a brotherhood, not a service. A brotherhood. Not just a ministry. A brotherhood. Where brothers and sisters come together. And apparently this is something that was happening at that time too. There were some who didn't see the value of the assembly. 
of the, set, the, the value of encouraging one another. The power and the ministry of encouraging one another. And being a part of each other's lives. And having a shared ministry. And a shared vision. And a shared hope. Being part of one another. We are members of the body of Christ. This vision, this understanding is very powerful in bringing us to maturity as a Christian. And we will see that as we go to the next passage. But but read here where it says, Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. One another means all of us. Not just a couple. To all of us to, to consider how and let God show us how we can build each other up, exhorting one another. It's how the old King James said, exhorting one another. That means building each other up, encouraging one another. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some. That was happening then. But in exhorting and encouraging one another. So much more as you see the day approaching. What day? The day of Christ. And we do see it approaching. The next one is in Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and then 11 to 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Every part of the body doing its share, its part. You know, when you read this, look at some of the things it says here. It talks about, in verse 11, different... Members of the body, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, 
different gifts of the Holy Spirit for the equipping of Christians, of the body. Giving them tools, equipping them. The word equip comes from the word equipment, tools. Giving them tools to help them to grow up. God has said it that way. For what purpose? For the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. Building up Christians. The body of believers. Everybody doing their part in the process. You know, it's kind of like when people... I've talked to people who've worked in factories, and I've seen films of people working in factories, and you have an assembly line, and everybody on the assembly line is doing their part. And if one person stops doing their part, <laughs> the product is not right. And they have to stop, and they have to go back, and, and they have to, you know, fix the problem, and then start over again. Everybody... There's people who weren't doing their part in the assembly line. They say, well, what is my part in the body? That's for each individual to find out. I mean, some of it's in the Word of God, but ultimately it's between us and God to find out how we can contribute. What is our part in the body of Christ? And not all of it is about meetings. Evangelism is not just something that's done in meetings. Teaching is not just something that's done in meetings. Prophecy, ministry of all kinds. Every part of the body doing its share. Every member of the body of Christ doing its share. That's a lot different. That is what part of what fellowship is all about. To cause us, each of us, to cause help each other to grow up. Considering how we can provoke one another to love and good works. We read in Hebrews. And we read it here too. And what happens when that's not happening? Dryness. Deadness. disillusionment, all kinds of stuff. And ultimately, not growing. God has set the body of Christ as, as an organization, a brotherhood, that will help each other to stimulate one another to grow up and to be what God wants us to be. We always look at the example of the early church because that's where it started. But you see that they got it. And they understood something. What they understood was, love one another as I have loved you. Lay down your lives for one another. They shared with each other. They gave to one another each other. They, were, they had fellowship together, not just in meetings. They did what they could to help each other, both spiritually, physically, whatever way they could. That was the vision of the early church that so many talk about having revival and recapturing that vision. That's where it is. It was a society. It was a brotherhood. It wasn't just a filling station. It wasn't just some guy doing it for everybody else. Filling the tank for everybody else. It was a brotherhood. And it was a holy brotherhood. Committing to the holiness of Christ. 
And you see that it says, and the fear of God was upon all of them. And they were one heart and one soul. That just doesn't happen, you know, by accident. Revival and that kind of society, that kind of brotherhood comes from a shared vision, a commitment, and a leading of the Holy Spirit. And a call to drink. Jesus says, let us, let him come to me and drink. A hunger and a thirst for the will of God. To grow up. We read it in so many places, grow up. You know, we should grow up in all things we just read. There it is again. We must, we, we must, we can grow up in all things here. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Growing up together. Not just, okay, you grow up and we'll see what we'll see what it looks like. We'll see if we like it. We'll see if we want to do that. <laughs> grow up together in all things. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The doctrine of Christ is not a matter of taste. Not a matter of opinion. Although we respect the viewpoints and opinions of others. What is God's vision? What is God saying? Doesn't matter what you know Billy Graham said or this preacher or that preacher. What is the Holy Spirit teaching us? The Holy Spirit is a teacher and a guide. And a helper. But it says here that in this shared ministry, it helps us to grow up and have unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God. Unity, not just, oh, everybody believe whatever they want, you know, and just say, uh, you know, we'll just believe a few basics and everything else. It's kind of, you know, the ecumenical movement. It's not the vision that was talked about here. Growing up in all things, it says, to a perfect man, it says, till we all come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so we no longer should be children. No longer be babes in Christ. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. You know? This way or that way or the other way. Christians might be confused, but God certainly is not confused. He knows what he wrote, what's in His Word, and He inspired it, and He knows what it means. And He intends for us to understand and be taught and be ministered to. <clears throat> a shared vision. This is the vision of the church. It's not, hey, this sounds good, why don't we do this? You see that they prayed together. You see them being filled with the Holy Spirit together. You see in the book of Acts, later on in the book of Acts, chapter 13, that some of them were 
got together Paul and Barnabas and several others. They got together and they're praying and fasting. And God gave them direction. Separate Paul and Barnabas for me to go out and do the work of the ministry that I have called them to. It wasn't, hey, this sounds like a good idea. Why don't we do this? It wasn't like that. They sought God together, brethren in the church, and God gave them a vision. There's two, of the, two among you that I want to send out on an apostolic tour. Send them away for the work that I'm going to send them to. After they prayed and fasted, it says, they sent away Paul and Barnabas to a very powerful, inspired, and directed ministry. Directed not by human wisdom, but by the Spirit of God. The importance of fellowship. The importance, not just in meetings, but the importance of being a part of each other's lives. To share one another's burdens, and the sharing of building one another up, to inspiring one another as God gives us that empowerment, to inspire and to encourage one another in the faith. We grow up and are no longer children tossed about, but grow up into all things in Christ. I remember when I was a kid, my parents and my older brothers and sisters got frustrated with me as a kid being immature. They said, grow up! <laughs> Why? Because I was acting immature. That's the call to God's Word. Certainly not in that sternness, but in that revelation. That He calls us to grow up, both as individuals, and as, as a body of believers. And that call is not just to build up us here, but whenever we come in contact with one another, to seek ways to build one another up. Seek the leading of the Holy Spirit as we come into each other's presence. What does God want me to say? What does God want me to do? How does God want to use me? I think it's easier for us to understand if someone has a physical need, we all have spiritual needs too. To be an encouragement to one another. And to build each other up and to the word that we read in Ephesians is admonish one another. That means to correct and warn. Speaking the truth in love. Sometimes speaking the truth in love is, is not that easy because we're be, we have to be critical in love towards one another. We that, rather everything be nicey nicey and everything you know and just sweep everything under the carpet when we see we're not talking about being picky and judgmental, but when we see that someone needs, you know, a word of encouragement, a word of warning and a word of correction. And God needs, God wants to use us in that way too. God is correcting us. He is bringing us through trials and tribulations. We are learning obedience 
by the things we suffer. Somebody told me lot not too long ago, I don't see God disciplining anybody. What about you? You see God disciplining anybody? I do. What's the problem? Why do people say that? Because they don't understand the nature of discipline. How God is at work. The subtlety, that small, quiet voice in bringing about different things into people's lives. And the person who said that had a mountain of difficulty going on in their life. And a lot of it was, was brought on by that person. Didn't see it. Didn't see it around them, but a mountain of difficulties that were going on in people's lives that they brought on themselves. I mean, not all difficulties are discipline. But some things are obviously discipline. But whether they're disciplined or not, we learn obedience through the things we suffer. Christ had committed no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth. And yet he suffered. And yet the nature of suffering is not without purpose. God has a plan and a purpose in every area of our life. So why are we fighting it? Why are we grumbling against it? Why are we frustrated with these things? Why aren't we seeing it? It takes maturity to understand these things. I remember when I was a young Christian and a new Christian, everything was so simple-minded to me. And when I say that, I mean, like I didn't get it. I, I didn't understand life around me. You know? And, and I was angry, frustrated, upset. God, why? You know, just questioning everything. And, and then God begins to bring you through a process. And He begins to reveal certain fruits. And after a while, it's like, yeah, this is coming through loud and clear. God is sending me a message in all this. But I need to change. I need to pay more earnest attention to the things I've heard. I need to get it. And embrace the problems in my life as God's way of teaching me and maturing me and growing me up. If Jesus goes through that process, should we be shocked if we have to? And the importance of getting it about how we grow. We grow by embracing these things, James says. That patience have its perfect work that we may become complete and mature and lacking nothing. And in Ephesians where we read about how we grow by, by the ministry of one to another. I encourage you right there, every part of the body of Christ doing its share. Everyone. And if we don't know what we're supposed to do, God will show us. That's, that's where our relationship with Him comes in. If we walk in the light as He, Christ, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Isn't that interesting how if we walk with God, if we're walking in the Spirit, 
It opens the door to each other. Walking in the light with others. To have fellowship with one another. The Bible tells us our fellowship is in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And that interconnection with one another. That we might grow up in all things. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A body of believers growing up and becoming Christ-like individually and as a group. That's the vision of the body of Christ. Brother Dan, I'm going to call on you next and take it from there. I, 